In Genesis, the book of beginnings, God made man in his image and his likeness and gave man dominion over the earth and all his creatures. The promise of that dominion of man still stands today. Even though we do some good, we do a lot of bad with it as well. God also promised to destroy the inhabitants of the earth by a flood because of the wickedness upon the earth, except Noah and his family, and it came to pass. God also set his rainbow as assurance to never destroy humanity again with a worldwide flood. In Genesis, God promised to bless Abraham and make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Through his offspring, all nations on earth would be blessed because he obeyed God. In Exodus, the redemption, the promise of plagues, the Passover promise, and God's promise to deliver the Hebrews out of Egypt and into the promised land. In Leviticus, the atonement, I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with your heads held high. In Numbers, that was the wilderness wanderings. The Lord answered Moses, Is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not what I say will come true for you. In Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, The Lord your God has blessed you in all the works of your hands. He has watched over your journey through the vast desert. These forty years the Lord your God has been with you, and you have lacked nothing. In Joshua, the people in the promised land, Moses and Aaron saw it, but they weren't allowed to enter. Joshua took the helm. None of God's promises ever fail. Joshua 23.14 says, You know with all your heart and soul that not one of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled Not one has failed. In Judges, in the midst of a compromising nation, God's compassionate delivery of His people, despite their sin and rejection of Him, presents a picture of Christ on the cross. Jesus died to deliver His people, all who would ever believe in Him, from their sin. Although most of those who followed Him during His ministry would eventually fall away and reject Him, still He remained faithful to His promise and went to the cross to die for us anyway. The book of Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. The term kinsman redeemer defines one who delivers or rescues or redeems property or person. Who redeems or vindicates a relative is illustrated most clearly in the book of Ruth where the kinsman redeemer is Boaz. Christ is often regarded as an example of a kinsman redeemer because as our brother, as it says in Hebrew 2.11, he also redeems us because of our great need for salvation from sin, one that only he can fill. In 1 Samuel, which was God's first prophet in the transition from judges to kings, God promised to raise up for him a priest and prophet, and this was done with the first prophet of Israel, which was Samuel. God also began the promise of the kingly reign of Israel from David to Jesus Christ that would never end. 
In 2 Samuel, we're told of the reign of David. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. 2 Samuel seven eleven through 14 You see there where he says, I will raise up to you an offspring from your own body. Jesus Christ, God, came as a human being from the lineage of David. David was the king of all Israel. He brought the whole country together as one nation. And Jesus Christ will be his last and everlasting king. But then turn around what happens in 1 Kings. The kingdom is divided. Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he never leave or forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep the commands, decrees, and regulations he gave our fathers. Second Kings, the dispersion of the people of Israel. And it's asked, have you not heard? Long ago I ordained it. In the days of old I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass. God knew this would happen. But none of his promises have ever failed. The people have failed to follow him. In First Chronicles, David in the temple, I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. When your days are over and you go to be with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me. And I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. He's talking about Saul. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. And then we see in Second Chronicles, Solomon built the temple. Solomon in the temple of the division of the kingdom. O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David my father. With your mouth you have promised and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. And then in Ezra we see the restoration. In Ezra 9, 8 and 9 it says, Though we are slaves, our God has not deserted us in our bondage. He has shown us kindness in the sight of the kings of Persia. He has granted us new life to rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins. And he has given us a wall of protection in Judah and Jerusalem. And then in Nehemiah, the reconstructing and reinstructing. Chapter 1, 5 and 6 says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love, and those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. And then we see in Esther where God's name is not mentioned, but his providence is there. He shows us in Esther that behind the natural workings of the events of man, the invisible God is still in control of all things. You know, he does not infringe upon our free will. We make our own stupid choices. 
But his unseen hand is there controlling all things from behind the scenes. And we as human beings cannot inhibit the fulfillment of God's promises. That's why God works all things together for his good. And then we see Job and why the righteous suffer. And we're given the promise of redemption and salvation. Job 19, 25 through 27 says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. He knew that promise was there. In Psalms, the book of prayer and praise, God never takes back or changes His promises. Psalm 89.34 says, No, I will not break my covenant. I will not take back one word of what I said. God promises our sins will be far removed from us. Psalm 103.12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. And then we move to Proverbs, practical wisdom, promise and prose. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. That can even say the Lord's promise that prevails. Prophecies are a promise. Ecclesiastes, the book of the preacher. Ecclesiastes is a book of perspective. In the end, the preacher comes to accept that faith in God is the only way to find personal meaning. He decides to accept the fact that life is brief and untimely worthless without God. Solomon advises the reader to focus on, the, on an eternal God instead of temporary pleasure. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. He finally sees what God has been saying and promising from the beginning of creation. In, in chapter 3, verse 11, it says, He has made everything beautiful in His time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. The Song of Songs, a song of love. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal over your arm, for love is as strong as death. Many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot wash it away. And so is the promise of God's love for us with the seal of His Holy Spirit. Isaiah, the book of the prophet. To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over His kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And then towards the end of Isaiah, Surely He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered Him stricken by God, smitten by Him and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. 
And then Jeremiah, who was known as the weeping prophet. And he had a lot to cry about. He says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Lamentations, the poem of tears. The Lord has done what he planned. He has fulfilled his word which he decreed long ago. Ezekiel, the prophet of visions. We've been promised new hearts and desires. Ezekiel 36:26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. If you're not saved, you have a heart of stone. The book of Daniel. The prophet of the supernatural. In 7.14 he says, He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Hosea, the prophet of divine love. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. Joel, the prophet of locusts in the day of the Lord. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's Joel 2, 28-32. Amos, the layman prophet. I will bring back my exiled people Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Israel's on my map. Maybe not other people's maps, but it's on mine. And we know that they're a country once again. Obadiah, the prophet of poetic justice. In Obadiah 15, he says, The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. I know when the second coming of Christ happens, the nations are judged. Jonah. We know the story of Jonah. He's the prophet of redemption. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord and He answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help and you listened to my cry. Micah, the people's prophet. In the last days the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and people will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us in His ways so that we may walk in His paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Nahum, 
the prophet of consolation. Nahum 1, 2, 3 says, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on His foes and maintains His wrath against His enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. He will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and the clouds are the dust of His feet. I'm going somewhere with this. Habakkuk, the book of judgment of the Chaldeans. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In Zephaniah, the book of judgment and repentance. Zephaniah 1, 14, 15. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. Listen. The cry on the day of the Lord will be bitter, the shouting of the warrior there. The day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. That paints a vivid picture. Haggai, the prophet that returned from Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while. I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Zechariah. He was the prophet, prophet with the apocalyptic visions. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. In 12.10 it says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. In 14, 4 and 5, on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, the messenger of the Lord. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Then to the New Testament. Matthew, Jesus the Messiah King. God is always faithful to his covenant promises. And his fulfillment of the messianic prophecies far exceed what anyone could have imagined. The people were hoping for freedom from physical and political bondage. But Jesus offered something far greater, freedom from the bondage of sin and death. Hence why Judas Iscariot did what he did. Matthew 28, 18-20 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And he has empowered each believer to manifest and share the good news of new life in him. In Mark, Jesus the servant God is identified with us in our humanity through the humility and servanthood of the Incarnation. Christ experienced the conditions of human limitations, including His encounters with the temptations that we face. 
And Jesus offers the glorious gift of the promise of forgiveness of sins. Luke, Jesus, the Son of Man. The Lord God will give His Son the throne of David, and He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. As children of God, we can rejoice that our names are written in heaven as promised. And we're promised the Holy Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God can do the impossible. Luke eighteen twenty seven says, But He said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So tell me, if God can do the impossible, then what promise is too hard for Him to keep? Anybody? In the book of John, Jesus, the Son of God. You know, whoever receives Christ becomes a child of God, is given promised eternal life, is no longer under condemnation and is crossed over from life, uh, death to life. In John, we know Jesus has promised He'll come again. Scripture we read all the time, John 14, 2 and 3, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The book of Acts. Ministry of the apostles and the expansion of the church. You know, God has given us the power of the promised indwelling of the Holy Spirit to enable us to be witnesses of the good news of forgiveness and life of Christ. God has fulfilled His promise to His people by raising up Jesus and by granting through Him the forgiveness of sins. Through Him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Romans, salvation for all. The gospel has promised power of God for salvation to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. The gift of righteousness comes through faith in Him and not through human effort. Since we have been united with Christ in His death, we will also be united with Him in His promised resurrection. Thus we can count ourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians, which was the carnal church. God has promised victory over temptations. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In 2 Corinthians, God always keeps His promises. 2 Corinthians 1.21-22 says, Now He who establishes us with you in Christ, and He has anointed us, is God who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And then in the book of Galatians, we have Christian liberty. We, who have been baptized into Christ, have been clothed with Christ. Neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. If we belong to Christ, then we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. He's promised us the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. In Ephesians, 
the believers shown their position in Christ Jesus. We have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And it's by grace we have been saved through God's gift of faith. Philippians, Christ is in us. He who began a good work in us will carry it on until the completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. All of our needs will be supplied. Philippians 4.19 And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. God knows what we need, not what we think we need. Colossians talks about the Lordship of Christ. The Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. We've been raised with Christ. We died and our life is now hidden with Christ in God. Remember, God sees us as he sees his son Jesus. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then we also will appear with him in glory. Amen? Amen. I'm going somewhere with this. First Thessalonians talks about the rapture and second coming of Christ. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And then we know in chapter 5, God did not appoint us to suffer the wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. In 2 Thessalonians, God will ultimately reward all believers who suffer for the sake of the gospel. 1 Timothy, we're told of Christian conduct. The promise of the grace of our Lord was poured out on us abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. We are not to put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put our hope in the promises of God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We're supposed to enjoy life. 2 Timothy talks about Christian security. If we died with Christ, then we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we disown Him, He will also disown us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. The Lord will award the crown of righteousness to all who have longed for His appearing. That's 2 Timothy 4.8. In the book of Titus, you guys may be hearing some of these you never heard of. Order and exhortation. We wait for the blessed hope. The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own Eager to do what is good. Philemon. Freedom and reconciliation in Christ. We have received promised grace and peace from from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as we have received God's love, grace, and forgiveness, He now empowers us to offer the same to others. Book of Hebrews. Jesus and the law. Because Christ Himself suffered when He was tempted, He's able to help those who are being tempted. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Hebrews 4.15 We can approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
Our hope and promise in Christ is an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The book of James, the proofs of true faith in Christ. He's promised us wisdom. James 1, 3 through 5 says, The testing of our faith develops perseverance. And perseverance leads to maturity and completion. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But you have to ask for it. First Peter, there's hope and suffering. And God's great mercy has given us to, uh, to us new birth in a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Second Peter, warning of spiritual perils. We have received God's great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And then we are looking forward to the promise of a new heaven and new earth, the home of righteousness, which is Second Peter 3.13. 1 John, knowing Christian truth from error. He's promised forgiveness. 1 John 1, nine. if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've been promised eternal life, 1 John 2.25. And this is the promise that He has promised us, eternal life. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the assurance we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He will hear us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of Him. Second John, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ lives in us and will be with us forever. Whoever abides in the true teaching of the incarnate Christ has both the Father and the Son. Third John, false teachers and contending for the faith is what Third John talks about. But it says, faithfulness to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a great source of joy to other believers. When we serve and support those who are ambassadors of the truth of Jesus Christ, we become co-laborers with them and participants in their ministry. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Third John 11. Jude. As we keep ourselves in God's love, we can wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring us to eternal life. The Lord is able to keep us from falling and to present us before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Revelation. Things which must take place. Those who read the words of this prophecy and who hear it and take it to heart, what is written in it will be blessed. He's promised to end death, sorrow, and pain. Revelation 21.4 And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God and he will be my son. 
And then we have the many promises of God's wrath that will be poured upon the earth in the seven seals, trumpet, and bowl judgments. Let's look at a few promises about God's Messiah, His Holy Son. In the Old Testament, that came true in the New Testament. The Messiah would be born of a woman in Genesis 3.15. This was fulfilled in Matthew 1.20.21. Messiah would be born of a virgin in Isaiah 7.14. This was fulfilled in Luke 1.30.33. Messiah would be born of Bethlehem in Micah 5.2. This was fulfilled in Luke 2.4-7. Messiah would come from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Genesis 22.18. This was fulfilled in Matthew 1.1-17. Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah in Genesis 49.10 and was fulfilled in Luke 3.33. Messiah would be heir to King David's throne in 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13 and Isaiah 9.7. It was fulfilled in Luke 1.32-33. Messiah's throne will be anointed and eternal. This is in Psalms 45, 6 and 7 and Daniel 2.44. It was fulfilled in Luke 1.33. So what was the purpose of all this? What I did was I presented a few promises out of every book of the Bible. Why did I do that? Well, I did it because you can realize that you have no reason to doubt or give up on any promises that God has made you. Ever. Every book in the Bible has promises of God in them. Every single one. Now, I'm not even scratching the surface of what I presented to you guys today. There's thousands of promises in the Bible. They don't even know how many. You hear estimates anywhere from 3,000 to some people say every every verse of Scripture is a promise. So then you've got 30-some thousand. There's just so many in there. And all have or will come to pass. God's promises never fail. Ever. The proof that we need that they will come to pass in our own lives is found in the proof of Scripture. None of those have failed. All we have to do is be obedient, patient, and faithful in God until they come to pass. And if it's not a promise from God, He'll relieve us of the desire because God will not have us hang on to false hopes. Or false dreams or promises in our lives. He would take that desire away. But if that desire is still there, that promise is yet to be fulfilled. You also have to look at something that you're wanting. Is it really something that you're going to gain from? Or is it something selfish? Is it something tangible? Or is it something intangible? The last promise found in the Bible is in Revelation 22.20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so come Lord Jesus. Remember, Maranatha. The Lord is coming. Why is it so hard for us to wait on Him? Why are we so impatient? If He promises something, He will always come through. You know, as his love never fails, neither do his promises. True Christianity and belief in the one true God is not denominations or affiliations. It's not liberalism or legalism. 
It's not by works or anything that you can accomplish, no matter how accomplished you are. Or you think you are. Christianity, true Christianity, is salvation in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Only one road leads to God, and that one road is the one that goes straight through the heart of the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. That is it. Nothing else brings salvation. Nothing else saves one from their sins and eternal judgment and punishment. Nothing else fulfills the promise of God except for Jesus Christ. He fulfilled that promise. How big is the promise He made to you compared to that? You don't think He'll come through? That's such a small task for God. It seems immense to us, but when you look at the cross and you look at His Son, Jesus Christ, and the promise that He fulfilled, all the promises that He fulfilled, all the prophecies He fulfilled, the promise God made to us is nothing in comparison. Jesus has waited for us, for you, for over 2,000 years to come to Him in a saving grace. He's waited that long for you to be created, to be born of your mother's womb. To live your life with all mistakes and heartbreaks, still waiting for you after all the sins you've committed, waiting because of the promise of God to save you. The only secure promise in this life is the saving grace of God. And if you don't have that, come to that grace today. And if you have a promise of God, something that you've been yearning for, longing in your heart, think about Abraham with Isaac. How long did they wait for him? And then he's told to sacrifice him. But Abraham did it on banking on the promises of God. That God would provide. And what did God do? He provided an innocent sacrifice. And he showed us that Jesus Christ was going to come and be the innocent sacrifice for us. He did it in so many ways. Read your Bible. Look at all the promises. You can't get through them all. There's so many there. So any promise that you have in your life, keep asking. If it's not a promise from God, He's going to take it away. He'll take that desire away so that you don't hang on to false hopes. God is not a God of confusion. God is not going to make you go after something that's not going to become fruitful. He won't do that. Believe His promises.